I'm Betty Johnson, Assistant Dean for Faculty and Staff Diversity, Development, and Leadership at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health, where we are committed to solving serious health and social problems facing the world. Our success in addressing these issues has huge implications for the future. No factor is more important to this pursuit than outstanding leaders. Therefore, the goal of Voices in Leadership is to highlight the experiences of those confronting these major challenges and to better understand what effective leadership is and how it can affect change. We believe these lessons and insights should be shared widely and thank you for joining us today. Good afternoon and welcome to Voices in Leadership, a series focusing on the nexus of science and leadership to create positive change in public health. My name is Eric Anderson. I'm the Deputy Director of this program, and I have the privilege of introducing our distinguished guest today. Jackie Jenkins Scott has spent most of her life taking on leadership roles in challenging times. From 2004 to 2016, she served as President of Wheelock College. While there were many accomplishments during her tenure, she is perhaps best known for her commitment to diversity for both faculty and for students. From 1983 to 2004, Jackie led Dimmick Community Health Center in Roxbury, Massachusetts one of Boston's largest community-based health and human services organizations serving diverse, vulnerable populations. Under her leadership, Dimmick rebounded from the verge of bankruptcy and emerged as a highly successful and sustainable benchmark institution that integrated comprehensive health and human services, including new programming and workforce development, child and family-centered services, and a community-based research program to develop innovative strategies for meeting the priority needs of inner-city residents. We're very proud that she is currently serving as a Mensual Senior Leadership Fellow here at the Harvard Chan School of Public Health, where she is conducting a seminar on leading in challenging times. Before I turn our discussion over to our <coughs> moderator, Professor John McDonough, please join me as we welcome Jackie Jenkins Scott to the Voices in Leadership series at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Thank you. So. <laughs> Welcome everyone here and wherever you're looking from. Um, what we really want to talk about today is leadership in community health. And I can't think of a better person to interview and discuss this with than Jackie Jenkins Scott. We have a kind of secret relationship that people don't know. <laughs> Jackie became director of the Dimmick Community Health Center in 1983. In 1984, around your neighborhood, I was elected state representative. And so we were, I guess I like to call it partners in crime That's over right. <laughs> about 15 years in Roxbury and Jamaica mm. Plain. But so you came into Dimmick in 1983 and you were brought in as one of the court appointed receivers to shut the place down because yeah. of its financial woes. Yes. What happened? What happened? So. I thought I was taking a job to work for Michael Dukakis. Remember Michael Dukakis, who had run for governor? And someone said, you know, there's this job, and we want to make sure there's some qualified people of color to apply. And I was, no, I'm doing something else. I'm going in a different direction. To make a long story short, after several um, meetings and uh, interviews, I was asked to actually meet the board on the Demick campus. And I walked on the campus and something said to me, this is where I belong. It was, um, 
It was the spirit of the women who founded Demick, and Demick was a former hospital for women and children, founded by immigrants, a Polish physician who came to this country believing that women uh, could be doctors and nurses and that women, uh, poor women, should have high quality care. So the hospital at that time was, I think, about 110 or 115 years since its uh, beginning. And um, the feeling was that this place um, didn't have a future. And in fact, the receiver, my co-receiver, gave me a real estate appraisal. And that real estate appraisal said, you have 10 acres of land here. These buildings are worthless. Uh, tear the buildings down, stop the land. You're literally, you can see the Prudential Center from here. One day this property is going to be worth a lot and it can turn into condos. And something in my spirit said, over my dead body, <laughs> these women who started this place, we're not gonna, going to tear these buildings down. So that began a 21-year odyssey. And how did you do it? How, how did you take something that everybody looked at and said that's heading for bankruptcy and create now what is really one of the most thriving and dynamic community health centers in Massachusetts and the country? Well, we did it with um, a lot of help from a lot of people like you, great state rep at the time, and, and you believed in uh, what we were doing and what we were trying. Um, the staff there were incredible, but everyone was demoralized and depressed. And so part of um, what has to happen is a recommitment to the mission, to the values, to what we stand for, what we believe in. And when you're in a community surrounded by need, um, it gives you motivation and it gives you energy. So that started that odyssey with a lot of help and a lot of support. I tell a very quick story, if I can say, share this. So there were these eight buildings or nine buildings on the campus, all Victorian buildings, beautiful buildings. And um, many of them literally had squirrels living in them. One had a homeless man living in, in it. And uh, part of it was, you know, uh, physical appearance matters. And, you know, I always had the attitude that um, I want to be proud of where I work, how I serve, and um, the place ought to be good enough for my family. And so with that, we started a process to renovate the buildings, restore the programs. And I knew nothing about historic preservation. And this is a story about how we work together with people. So finally, I got led to a guy named Stan Smith, who was president of something called Historic Boston. And that goes back to that commitment to what do we do with this place. Stan uh, said, you know what, you need to get this place listed on the National Rest Register of Historic Places. That started a process. So we actually, with the help of Historic Boston, was able to get the entire campus listed on the National Register of Historic Places, ensuring that those buildings will never be torn down and salted away for condos. 
Well, that's just the beginning of the story about how people can work together when we can find synergies. There was a guy named Bill Taylor who ran the Boston Globe, who was the publisher of the Boston Globe. The largest building on the campus had a roof that was leaking, literally buckets of rain. And a program called Medco was in that building. And we needed to get the roof fixed. Well, back in the mid-80s, this we got a quote about $500,000, a half a million dollars to fix the roof. Today, that would probably be some uh, unheard number. Um, you know what happened? Bill Taylor was interested in historic preservation. I knew nothing about it, never met Bill Taylor. And after a long period of time, uh, through some creative financing with historic tax credits, uh, the Globe actually put up the half a million dollars. And what was really fascinating was Bill Taylor wanted no credit, no publicity. I think to this day, most people don't know how that roof got fixed. Uh, and that started a process of preserving that campus. So let's, let's back up a little bit. Um, where are you from and what came, what, what influenced you in your youth into this path and this direction that you've taken with your life and career? So I um, was born in the South, and my family, like so many families of African-American descent, migrated to the North. Uh, I actually, I grew up in a place called Flint, Michigan. Talk about community health. <laughs> Talk about community health. And, um, you know, in my family, we grew up with kind of four principles drilled into us. Um, one was that, um, Education is power, and even though uh, my grandparents and my, my parents didn't have a college education, I first graduated from college, uh, education is your way out, and it is something that no one can take from you. Um, and one of the other you know, principles that was drilled into us was that um, there's a verse in the Bible uh, that basically says, to whom much is given, much is expected. And so this commitment to service was something that was drilled into me. And then the commitment that we have to, uh, today we call it paying it forward, that uh, we have a responsibility um, to serve. So those um, basic principles were kind of led me to service, uh, and I came to Boston for graduate school, and as they say, the rest is history. <laughs> but just have to ask you, what, what thoughts, reactions do you have around the community health crisis in Flint over mm -hmm. the past three to four years now with the water? It's Any insights been, into that? Yeah, it's been really tough. Um, actually, you know, one of the lessons about uh, values and commitments and capitalism. Flint was a thriving um, small city, 325,000 people when I grew up. Uh, the entire economy was driven by uh, the automobile industry. My mom worked on the assembly line for 39 years for General Motors. And uh, it is, um, 
an example of what happens when um, corporations' <coughs> values change. Um, and so now when I go back, it's heartbreaking, mm -hmm. absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, but what we learn is something that we learn about leadership. It's an important part of leadership is resilience. And you look at the resilience of the people in that city. Um, it is a bouncing back despite the Netflix uh, um, uh, series that's going on. I think um, I, I uh, admire the resilience of the people in that community. It's, it's, uh, uh, for me, I go back and I literally cry um, almost every time I go back. Uh, because it's changed so much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So let's come back to Dimmick. Um, about 21 years you were there yes. as the leader and then a leader in community health all over Boston and mm -hmm. a national spokesperson. Where is Dimmick today and what were you able to create and how did you do it? Mm -hmm. So I think you know one of the important um, signs of leadership is the sustainability of institutions. And um, that was one of the struggles. I absolutely loved my time at Demick. Um, um, you know, I actually had about five jobs over the 21 years because we're constantly changing. Uh, Demick is thriving today. Uh, I'm going back uh, next week. Uh, one of the buildings we didn't uh, get to renovate before I left was the detox center which uh, was a detox center serving about 45 patients. And when I was there, we struggled because there was never enough uh, reimbursement to adequately reimburse for substance abuse. Uh, Demick has now invested $15 million into renovating the space, and next week they will celebrate the opening of that uh, new detox center. So it's very exciting for me uh, to go back, I had an opportunity to have a sneak preview of what the, the new space, it is absolutely beautiful, state of art, and it is one of my principles that um, every person deserves to have their services and care and dignity and high quality, and that's happening uh, right on that Demick campus uh, next week. Mm -hmm. You know, we see a lot of interest today in issues around incarceration. Mm -hmm. And I recall one thing that we worked together on that you started in the later part of the 80s was a program for incarcerated mothers. Yes. Could you talk about that sure. program and where that idea came from yeah. and how you were able to make that happen, which was, again, kind of unprecedented? So that's one of the um, stories that's a wonderful Demick story. We, we had this beautiful building that was the laundry building for the hospital. On Notre Dame Street. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the laundry building. It was a great old brick building. That's the building the homeless man lived in and the squirrels lived in. And um, two women um, who were working at Framingham State Prison. And at the time, what happened to women uh, in prison if you were pregnant you had your baby, and you literally lost that baby within 24 hours of having the baby. So these two women had a vision of taking the women out of prison. Uh, most of these women were in prison for 
um, you know, not serious crimes, taking them out of prison, giving them good health care, education, the opportunity to bond with their child, uh, with the assumption that these things will help change their lives. And we had uh, the opportunity to renovate this building, the laundry building, was so it's aptly named, um, provide the health care for the women, provide the early education programs for the women, and uh, work in collaboration and partnership with uh, the women from uh, the prison. And that program uh, was a partnership with Beth Israel, uh, Deaconess Medical, Beth Israel Hospital at the time, now it's Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, and um, provided excellent services. I think the, the program served about 20 women at any given time, and they were able to bring their babies, have their babies, first of all, in a healthy environment, uh, and come back and live in the residential program for the first six to eight months of the uh, newborn's life, and then uh, lead to a pathway and a road to recovery and, and um, a sustainable life. And that program, I think, uh, lasted well into the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. It's a terrific, um, terrific opportunity. I recall that neighborhood. I remember one house in particular, an elderly gentleman lived there. Mm -hmm. And when you went door knocking on the door, there was a sign on the door, and it was a cartoon of a gun pointing right at you. And it said on the sign, it said, forget the dog, beware of owner. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a great memory, John. <laughs> Some things kind of stand with you. <laughs> It was a challenging neighborhood. There was, was a lot a of security issues. It was a challenging the Straddling the border of Roxbury and mm -hmm. Jamaica Plain in mm -hmm. Boston and right sort of. in Eggleston Square. But you weren't, you didn't confine yourself to the to your to your campus, you yeah. were out. You saw yourself yeah. as an agent in the larger yeah. community yeah. in terms of the broader community health. And how did that come to you? And how did you make that happen so well? well you know, we had the opportunity. Uh, that is that is part of the hallmark of community health centers, in general. Community health centers believe very much that you are part of the community and to have quality care. Well, you know, our communities, the people who live in our communities are complicated. Uh, life brings many issues, um, and we really uh, took pride that um, our staff were people who lived and worked in the community, so they brought the issues to the community uh, with them. And um, we always felt our job was to be responsive mm -hmm. to what came in front of us. And we had this concept, now we call it holistic medicine, where you treat more than just the you know, presenting um, uh, medical issues, but that people bring uh, all of their issues and that we need to find a way to support them. So the fortunate thing for Demick was that we had that opportunity to do some creative and innovative things because we had this campus of 10 acres in the sitting in the heart of the community. And it was an opportunity to really connect with the other pieces, uh, important parts of the community, safety, housing, all the things that people care deeply about. At that time, you know, we didn't have the Walgreens that's there now. <laughs> things, that, uh, things like that that mattered. And um, what uh, 
I found uh, so incredible is the courage of the people who lived in the community because they wanted, they wanted good care, they wanted services, they wanted all the things that we want uh, for our families and for our children. They wanted their children to go to school in caring, safe environments. And it, it was a privilege to be able to help to meet those needs. Mm -hmm. so, so you took over Dimmick in troubled times. Now let's kind of fast forward to today. Uh, many people see us as being in really troubled, difficult times mm -hmm. right now, issues around racial justice, equity, sure. immigration. Um, thoughts about our current environment and what you draw from, mm -hmm. from your own experience in terms of facing the challenges of today. You know, I think one of the things that we see, particularly in healthcare, because uh, you, you'll know this, uh, some of those issues have come around again 25 years later. You know, you know, we called it capitation back then. <laughs> and now we're talking about, you know, the cost reimbursement structures changing again and really going back. So I think one of the things we, um, as leaders, and we have to think about is progress doesn't happen overnight. It is a process. We might take a step forward, we might have to take a step backwards, and we take two steps forward. And that begins the process. So um, calibrating uh, success and having a sense of uh, we are moving and remaining committed to that value of moving forward, I think is very important. And we're seeing that uh, more and more today. We're seeing character matters, that values matter, what we believe in matters, and what we're committed to, what we're willing to stand up for, and what we're willing to fight for over a period of time really does matter. Some people today get a little discouraged and think, are we really making progress, or do we just keep going through these same things over and over, and the sense of progress is kind of a delusion or just a mirage. What do you think? Are we making progress? Can you we? know, I, I, I was at um, Boston City Hall a few weeks ago speaking with some high school students. And they, it was for Black History Month. And it was a series of, of conversations. And I, you know, the, this, this program was geared towards the students, but there were some parents who came and at the end of one of my sessions, a gentleman came up to me. I didn't know him. And he thanked me. And he said, I was in your detox center when you were at Wheelock, at uh, Dimmick, and I just want to thank you. Now, this was a man there with his high school student. And for me, that made all of it worth every bit of what we go through. So at the end of the day, it's about the lives we're changing. And sometimes we don't know who we're impacting. I didn't know that gentleman, wouldn't have known him, but he basically kind of said, you changed. This center, Demick, changed my life. Mm -hmm. And that was, for me, worth it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's worth all of what we go through. Mm -hmm. We see kind of waves of interest in community health. I think back in the 
80s and 90s, there was a surge of interest. I think mm -hmm. some people saw a lull in the last decade. Do you mm -hmm. see it coming back? And, and is, are there new ways of thinking about leading for community health mm -hmm. today that's different? Or is it just kind of sticking to the tried and true methods? What do you, what do you think? Is there yeah. anything new under the sun here in the world of community health? So, you know, we call the community health centers a movement. It was actually started in the mid-60s. Uh, uh, Senator Ted Kennedy was a big, big proponent of community health centers. And the first one started here in Boston and, and uh, with a colleague health center in Mississippi. Um, when I was a community health center director, we had something like 1,200 sites around the country. There are 8,000 now, over 8,000, serving over 24 million people. So what that says to me is that uh, this movement really has value and the numbers of people that it's reaching and touching uh, has grown uh, substantially. And in fact, um, community health centers, I think, did a fantastic job at helping to uh, depoliticize uh, being a community health center. So we have both Republican and Democrat support. Uh, community health centers are not just in urban areas, they're in rural areas, and they're all over the country. So um, when we think about how we study movements, I think uh, community health centers will go down in history as a highly successful movement, in part because they were able to galvanize support but more importantly because of what they do, who they serve, how they touch lives, and uh, how they recognize that they're part of a community. So some health centers are primary care focus as their major component. Others have added, all of them have added support services. Uh, some health centers even run uh, charter schools and, and other uh, innovative programs to address the needs of the community that they're uh, embedded in. And the idea of community health centers is that you actually meet the needs of the people that live in your community. Mm -hmm. So people in this room, people outside this room watching, looking at this interview say, I want to be like Jackie Jenkins Scott. I want to do what Jackie did. <laughs> I want to become a leader in community health. What? Mm -hmm. What, what advice can you give them? What, what, what should they do or pay attention to if they want to follow your, your pathway? Well, you know, I think that um, when you look at leadership literature now, um, when you talk about the attributes of leaders, nowadays they kind of can be lumped into four things. Humility, empathy, curiosity, and resilience. And I think those characteristics are characteristics that not only are important for community health center leaders, but if we're curious, we're, we're constantly learning and growing and evolving and helping others to learn and grow and evolve and meet the needs of their community. If we really can have empathy to the people that we serve, you know, we want to treat them the way we want to be treated. Uh, resilience has to be you know, a very important part of what we do as leaders because it's not going to happen in a straight line. 
immediately. So we have to be creative and think about, okay, we couldn't get that program funded that way. Is there another way we can get that program funded? How do we tell our story? How do we come back and keep people engaged in our work? And uh, curiosity. So those are just some characteristics that I think uh, we all have in us someplace. Uh, and um, we ought to own them and be proud of them. Uh, and that will allow us to do the work um, because the work's not easy. You know this, John. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Jackie, thank you for your service and your leadership. Thanks for sharing with us today. And uh, congratulations good and good luck. Yeah.